0: Our being, Lord. May you show us truth. May we follow you. May we hear your voice. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Oh, come on now. Good morning. Everyone say, Jesus. Hey, welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. Really good to have you with us this morning. Uh, If by chance I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, Uh, or get to know you. My name is Jesse, and for the most part, I have the the great opportunity to preach God's Word almost every single week, but not quite, and uh, appreciate our team and what it's taken for us to be inside. So if you are new, a couple things uh, to make note of, because this is just one of those kind of crazy seasons, and anything could change at any moment. I appreciate that many of you got the word out that we moved in side a week earlier than anticipated. Uh, we saw in the forecast on Tuesday that it was possible that we we're going to have some moisture and it was going to be really cold and all of our equipment can't be in the rain and all of that. So we made the change and it's, it's great to see that we probably could have been outside and been fine, uh, but a little disappointing. I was kind of hoping it'd be like really, really rainy so we could justify being in here. Um, but we're here and you're here and we're just so glad that you're here. Um, really blessed to have you, especially those of you who are moving into the area and you're looking for a church home, you're looking for a family, you're looking for some good, solid, hopefully solid Bible teaching uh, and a good emphasis on who Jesus is and the grace of God, that's what we're all about. And so we're just really glad to have you. Those of you who uh, are not comfortable coming, we know many of you are watching online. I saw uh, for our first service, we were already around 100 views on our first service. So uh, we knew that and anticipated those views would go up. Uh, as we came inside, knowing some people still feel vulnerable and not ready. And that's totally uh, okay. That's why we provide that. Uh, And we love you, and we want you here. And the way I've been kind of saying it the last couple weeks, come as you are. We want you here, and uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, So if you are new, there's a couple ways to get plugged in as we kind of pivot and change and announce things. Uh, We're on almost every single social media platform, so you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on YouTube, uh, and all of those places, and then also, uh, we put out a newsletter each week, that newsletter, uh, you can sign up for that on our webpage at sbctrucky.com. and if you are new, we'd love to connect with you, hopefully you got a bulletin if you're new, uh, but on that bulletin is a place to fill out some information so we can connect with you and get you connected. Um, So... We're in the book of Timothy, so if you want, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy. Those of you who've been here each week, you've been kind of getting a big-picture idea of what we're all about uh, and what uh, what this book is all about. So remember now, Timothy uh, was a young believer, and Paul, who was once not a believer, who became a believer, becomes uh, in friendship with Timothy, who is a young man. He travels with Paul for about 15 years. Uh, out of Lystra into Ephesus, and eventually Paul puts Timothy in charge of this church in Ephesus, in this place called Ephesus. And so you got this young pastor, he's, he's planted a church, and Paul takes off to go plant more churches. Things get weird. COVID hits the, the church in Ephesus, basically, and uh, things get weird. And so Paul starts to encourage Timothy, this is what the church looks like. And so that's, that's what uh, we're doing in this season. We're talking about what is God's church and so Paul's encouraging Timothy, stay in the church, keep leading in the church, fight for the church, fight for the gospel, fight for your people, fight against false teachers and those who would teach other than what's in the word of God. And so he's encouraging Timothy, strengthening Timothy. He even tells Timothy, please stay, don't leave, don't leave California, don't bail, don't take off, stay in California, I mean Ephesus, stay in Ephesus and, and don't, don't leave because <coughs> Ephesus needs you. And so, I got a tickle my throat. And, uh, and so he's encouraging him to stay, and Paul literally tells Timothy, hey, this is how you're supposed to be as a church, and this and that's where we're at. And I thought, you know, going into this next season, into winter, and, and all of the things that we're hearing in the political climate, and, and COVID, and all that stuff, it'd be good for us just to, to not have the culture tell us what the church is and what the church isn't. Uh, that it would be good for us to recognize that the church church is not supposed to be mandated uh, by the government in how we gather, what we do, what we don't do, if we sing, if we don't sing. But rather, our commandments and our instructions for the church come from Jesus himself. Uh, And so that's been the emphasis that we're in. Now, the section that we're in this morning, uh, Paul's going to talk about prayer, and then um, I'm going to do my best attempt in reading and teaching through a section here that hopefully doesn't get me fired. Because um, this this section we're going to read in a moment is... Uh, I wouldn't get fired from our elders, but maybe from you. Um, it's a tough piece of Scripture. It's actually considered one of the most controversial pieces of Scripture in all of the New Testament. And so I'm going to do uh, the best of my ability to get there. Uh, and so we're going to read together the first uh, few verses here that we're actually going to read all of chapter 2, uh, and then we're going to dive in. So you guys ready to... Sit under and worship God through the preaching of his word. If you would, we love the word. We believe it's God's spoken word to us. It's poetry, it's instruction, it's conviction, it's encouragement, it's life. Uh, so we stand because we just love it so much. And so verse 1 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. All right, buckle your seatbelt. I desire then that in every place the men that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling, and likewise that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and in holiness with self-control. Lord, this is your word. You said it. I didn't. So I trust that you, Lord, and you alone... Would help us understand it. In Jesus' name, the church said. You may be seated. Okay, now all the ladies are like waiting. When are you going to talk about this section here? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, But first, I have to talk about the first portion here. So remember, Paul has instructed Timothy this is what the church looks like. You should fight the faith, you should stay, you should teach the word. Make sure that you're biblical. Make sure that you're gospel-centered. These are things that are very important. Uh, But then he says, okay, with all of that said and done, then he says, okay, first of all, that's how chapter 2 starts off. First of all, what should you do? What should the church be doing? What is the first job of the church? He says that you would pray. So he gives a specific instruction that the church should be a praying church. And he tells us how we should pray. Now, what's, what's important for you to know, and I'll get here in a moment to explain just briefly on The different types of prayers he has listed here, that is supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. But let's just talk about, first of all, who he tells us to pray for. The first instruction is he says, pray for everybody. Now, you would think that would be sufficient. I think Paul probably could have stopped there, right? But but God told him to go a little bit further. He could have said, pray for all people, let's move on. But he doesn't. He actually knows that you and I need further explanation about who to pray for. That we, we need a little bit more oomph. A little punch in the arm. Who are you supposed to be praying for? Well, all people, but specifically kings and those who are in high positions. What is he telling us to do? He's telling us to pray for the leaders in the church, for sure, but he's also telling us to pray for the leaders of our nation. Now, let me ask a question. Have you been praying for our leaders? Have you been? (laughs) And I have to make a, I have again, I've got to be specific, knowing how maybe some of us pray. We should be praying the gospel for our, our leaders. We should be praying that Jesus would come and save our leaders. Uh, what this doesn't mean is that we would pray, as some of you probably would like to pray, uh, Lord Jesus, would you take out our leaders? That's not what Paul's saying. In fact, he, he's talking about, he says that he desires, verse 4, that all men should be saved. Jesus wants Democrats to know Jesus. He wants Republicans and Independents to know Jesus. He desires all men to be saved. You should be praying for your leaders. Now, let's give some backdrop, which really makes this even heavier for us, more understandable, more maybe palatable. But, but uh, Paul, when he wrote this, he was writing uh, with the backdrop of one major political leader that was leading and ruling in Paul's day. You know who it was? Just a guy by the name of Nero, who was known for his kindness and his love, <laughs> his compassion and his mercy. No, he wasn't. He, he was a bloodthirsty leader. He was sick. In fact, Nero, Nero, it's reported that he actually would dip Christians in resin, light them on fire so that they could be lighting, mood lighting for his parties. He persecuted Christians. He murdered them for, for sport, for entertainment. And notice Paul doesn't say, "Hey, go down, go down to Nero's house and pick it in, put a little sign on a stick and tell him what a horrible job he's doing." He says, "No, pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray the gospel for your leaders." And I think Paul was praying this because he knew what you and I should know that there is not one person who is too distant from God. There's not one leader, there's not one radical guy that's so far off. God's grace is always bigger than any of our sins, any of our mistakes, and so we should pray. Are we a praying church? Do we pray for our leaders? Let me give you another example. The moment is our Savior was on the cross dying for your sins that you and I committed, and he takes all of the blame what we call the propitiation, the the wrath-bearing sacrifice on our behalf. He's hanging on the cross, and he looks down at his persecutors. He looks down on those who have murdered him and beat him, and he says what? He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even as he's praying for them, out loud, they divide his garments and split them among themselves. Richard Baxter actually says This great theologian says, Let your heart yearn. Let your heart yearn, he says, for what? Your ungodly neighbors. A loss, there is but a step between them and death and hell. Listen to what he wrote way before the coronavirus. Many hundred of diseases are waiting and ready to seize them. And if they die unregenerate, they will be lost forever. Forever. He goes on and says, do you have hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned as long as you're saved? If so, you have sufficient cause to pity yourselves. For it is a frame of spirit utterly inconsistent with grace. Do you live close by your neighbors? Do you meet them in the streets and work with them and travel with them and sit and talk with them and say nothing to them about their souls? Well, if their houses were on fire, would you run and help them? Will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? We should be praying for men and women. Right? Many of us, we've been stuck indoors, and, and we're not talking to each other. We can't see each other's faces. We're not interacting with one another. And, and, then, and now in my neighborhood, the only way that really anybody's interacting is with their political sign. They're letting, they're letting everyone know who they're voting for. What a poor way for us to communicate. I mean, one of the reasons that the church is open for us is because we have prayed and we've sought God's will and we've had to look at the numbers and we've had to look at all of the difficulty that is COVID. And what we're convinced of is indeed the isolation and the the removal of seeing each other's faces and singing is ruining our souls. We're decaying. Just yesterday, I was notified of a family in our church who has requested your prayers but wants to remain anonymous. One of their teenage children attempted to end their life and is in the hospital still fighting for that life. And what was shared with me from their particular parents is that COVID has been hard, the isolation has been hard, the lack of seeing faces has been hard, and it has just been too much too heavy. We have a culture that doesn't think about death, doesn't talk about death, doesn't know how to deal with death, doesn't know how to cope with death. And we have a Savior who died on our behalf, who gives us some some sense of how to deal with pain and how to deal with suffering. We have a suffering Savior, and our suffering Savior gives us an ability to deal with suffering. That's why many of us can gather without fear because we know that this life is but a blip on the radar of eternity. Don't you rejoice in that? That's why Paul literally says, what? What does he say? He says, to live. To live is Christ. Right? We've got a job to do. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to pray for our neighbors. We've got to pray for our church. But then what does he say after that? But to die is gain." I can almost just see Paul being like, where is the COVID infirmary? I'm going to go there and just see what happens. But I love a super controversial figure. Appreciate much of his work, and some of it I don't totally always agree with, but, you know, MacArthur and SoCal, they've opened up their church, and he was being interviewed on the, the news, and, and they were, you know, they're, the news likes to make people scared and fearful, so they're telling, telling MacArthur, you know, well, are you worried? They're, they're talking about maybe arresting you as a pastor and you're going to go to jail. And if you know MacArthur, he's an older gentleman. He's doing, been doing ministry for 150, 200 years or so. And, and he, he just looked straight, dead eye in the camera and he said, you know, I've done a lot of ministry over the years, lots of ministry. And I've never had a prison ministry. Maybe, I, maybe I'm about ready. And, and, and th- no fear of prison, no fear of death because the gospel makes us bold And it makes us gracious, and it makes us loving, and it unites us. It unites all of us, whether we're a man, or a woman, or a child, or we're young, or we're old, or we're yellow, or we're black, or whatever we may be. The gospel unites us. And so Paul says, for all men, especially your leaders, don't complain, don't gripe, don't don't be a person of of angst, but rather supplicate, ask God for things, pray, pray, acknowledge that God is good, intercede on behalf of people. That, that young individual I spoke of, I've been interceding for her. What does that mean? Standing before God where she can't and saying, God, heal her, save her. And then we should be thankful, he says. Thank you, God. You know, thank you for those of you who've come up to me and said, thank you, Jesse, for opening our church. Thank you for, for being consistent. Thank you for preaching the word. We're to be thankful. Ultimately, what God is saying here, ultimately what Paul is telling Timothy, what, what Paul is telling the church is that before we talk to people about God, we've got to talk to God about people. We've got to get up into the Lord's face. We've got to let God get into our face, and, and we've got to love our neighbors, man. That we, we have some, uh, a house uh, in the corner where we live. It has sold three times in the last uh, year and a half or so. And each time, you know, it's because they're making, they're making more money, housing prices, they're up. And so this new family, they're from the Bay Area. They're down in the corner. And they're yet to find out that they live across the street from a pastor. <laughs> Welcome to Truckee. <laughs> <No. laughs> He's a mess with them a little bit, you know. You know there's bears around here. Care them. And I, I, I they're, they're distant. That you can tell they, they don't, they don't, they're interacting a little differently, whether it's because they're used to being isolated, whether they're worried, whether they're concerned, I don't know. But my job is to pray for them. You know, my wife said, I'm so bummed that someone didn't move in with another family because, you know, they, she wants our kids to play with other kids and stuff. And, and, and you know what? It, it, that may be a bummer, but our job isn't to, to bemoan who moved next door to us. Our job is to love who moved next door to us. And so we pray for them. And the result, Paul says, you'll lead a peaceful and a quiet life. You know, even though Nero was persecuting the church, because of the way that God was operating within the government, the government of Rome did something that was very incredible for the propagation of the gospel, for the outgoing of the gospel. Do you know what they did? They built the Roman roads. So Nero's persecuting the church, which seems like, all oh, the church isn't going to grow. But my friends, the church always grows when it's persecuted. And then, because they were praying for the government, praying that it would all go well, government puts in these roads, the Roman roads. Why? Well, because they thought it would be great for trade, great for money. They weren't thinking of the church. But the church then was able to use these Roman roads to take the gospel to every corner of the earth. That's what we should be praying for. That's why you pay your taxes. You don't pay them just, to, just because you love your government. You pay them because by having good roads and having clean air and having an environment we can live in that's holistic, it makes us able to preach the gospel more freely. And that's good news. And then let's just touch upon this before we get controversial. There's one mediator. Right? You know what a mediator is. A mediator is someone who, when two dissenting parties, two parties who are arguing are too emotionally charged to talk to one another. They need to bring someone in that's objective, who can think clearly and and mediate in that conversation to bring about peace. Some of you who've been married for any length of time know that it might help to have a mediator. My children play that every now and then. Stop arguing. That's usually the length of the mediation. Now, a mediator between us and God is that as sinners, we can't approach a holy God. And if we did as sinners, if we approached God as sinners to this holy God, we would be utterly destroyed and absorbed in his holiness and his gloriousness. And so Jesus dies on the cross, imputing his righteousness to us, giving us his righteousness, making us sinless, if you will. And then Jesus is speaking to God the Father on our behalf. So now we can approach God the Father because we are literally enveloped and wrapped into the imputation of Jesus' as righteousness. That is is to say that his holiness, Jesus' holiness, has been imputed and given to us so that before God the Father, we're no longer seen as sinners, but rather we're seen as children of God. Is that good news? That's great news. Which means you don't have to go to a priest to pray. You don't have to go to a pastor to pray. You don't have to go to a holy saint to pray. You get to go to Jesus and Jesus alone to pray. You have access to him at all times. Because Paul says... All right, let me just get this out of the way. You gotta pray, and I like that he says this because about because of where he's going next. Right? Everybody buckle your seatbelts, put on your helmet, put on your big boy pants because it's gonna get rough and rocky a little bit in here. There's two problems that hinder our intimacy with one another, and two problems that hinder our intimacy in prayer with Jesus. It's men and women. You're a problem. I remember years ago when I was in San Diego cutting my teeth in ministry, and we would do a retreat. We were part of a really, really large church, about 6,000 plus people, and uh, we'd do these retreats with pastors, about 100 of us, 100 staff and, and, and different lay leaders, and we'd get together. We would leave San Diego, go to um, a place down in the desert, a little retreat center, and we would pray together, and we would share things on leadership. Just tremendous time uh, for us as leaders, good kind of retreat. And our lead pastor, he said to us, he said, okay, uh, I want all of you to do, do me a favor. I want you to break up in groups of five or ten or so, and I want you to sit down. I want you to just, just think about and pray about what are the best, what's the best thing about ministry? What's the best thing about the church? What's the best thing about, about leading in God's kingdom? So we all sat down. We all gathered, you know. And then he asked all of us, you know, okay, stand up. What's the best thing? Everyone said, every, every little subgroup said, best thing, best thing in the church. It's the people. It's just so good to see people grow. They get discipled. Someone gets saved. Someone gives up drugs. Somebody repents of their sins. Somebody gives up pornography. Somebody, it's just so good to see God's people get reconciled to their God. This is the best part of ministry. So, okay, now now sit down in your same groups and discuss what's the hardest thing about ministry. You know where I'm going, right? You get up, okay. Well, what's the hardest thing? It's the people. You know, we, we really need people to do the church, but the church would really operate a lot smoother if we didn't have people, right? If you've heard the saying before, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if your church is perfect, stop going because you'll be the problem. Right? There's no such thing as a perfect church. People are sinners. People make a mess of their lives. And so what Paul now does is he hammers down on men and women in the church, We're going to get to the ladies in a minute, but before we get to the the ladies, we've got to talk about the men because what does Paul say, first of all? Well, let me backdrop just a little bit. God has created man and woman. That is God's created order and design. Okay, I, 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 I didn't say it. There's man and there's woman. There's nothing in between. God created them male and he created them female. And both the male and the women bear the image of their maker. Women, you, are, you have intrinsic value for you are made in the image of God. Men, same for you. You bear the image of God. Totally 100% equal when it comes to the image of God. However, however, we believe that the Bible gives us a complementarian view of men and women. What does that mean? It means we recognize by God's goodness and grace that there's a difference between men and women. And that's okay, that it's okay for a man to be like a man and for a woman to be like a woman and that there are differences between the two genders and that we celebrate those differences. So for instance, it doesn't mean one's lesser than the other, but so for instance, my wife, I am so thankful my wife doesn't look like me. (laughs) She's got hair and soft skin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, okay? And, and that is a good thing. So the first thing he does, before we get to the ladies, and I help make some sense of this, because it is offensive, but it won't be as offensive when we're done uh, by the end of this. He says, I desire that men, okay, we're going to talk about the guys first, that men in every place should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. Let me ask you men this. First of all, are you a man of prayer? Secondly, are you a man that's known more for this Or for this? Are you known as someone who who raises those holy hands? That's known for praising God? That's known for humility and surrender to the Lord? Are you a man that's got to, I got to defend and fight? See, remember, there's context here. Paul uh, is telling Timothy these things because obviously Timothy was dealing with some angry, quarreling men. And this is an issue, it's an issue in our culture. Where men think that in order to be tough, they've got to be able to fight, they've got to be able to defend themselves, they've got to be aggressive, they've got to be mean. But what Paul's saying is men of the church should be known for this. That the church should be known for this. That the church should be a hand-raising church. You know, the best thing you can do for your child, men, is to put one hand on their shoulder and another hand in the air and to pray. To pray. To pray. It was really awesome as I was preaching this this morning because we don't have children's church right now uh, in the first service, but we will next week. Everything will be open next week. And so my four-year-old's sitting in the back row, and as I'm preaching this, he says, Good job, Dad! We had a good laugh. See, men have a propensity to, to be angry or to be lax. It's actually the two pitfalls of men, chauvinistic or passive. There's this interesting portion here kind of you read it and you go, "Whoa, whoa, it says it says it says that Adam Adam didn't deceive but didn't wasn't deceived but it was Eve who was deceived." Now, it doesn't mean that Adam's off of the hook because Adam was there sitting passively by. While the wife was being deceived and and saw that apple and was running after that apple, uh, Adam was on the couch watching Netflix, drinking a beer. He wasn't involved with his family. He wasn't involved with his wife. See, what Paul's encouraging in the church is that men would stand up, they would have their hands praised and raised, and that they would love their women well. In fact, Ephesians 5 tells us, literally, that if you're a man and you're married, you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. What did Jesus do for the church? He died for the church. The Bible says that men should be working hard. In fact, it says, guys, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, we've got a government program for that. No, you don't work, you don't eat. That's the biblical instruction. Men should work hard, but they should pray even harder. And they should love their wives and lay down their lives for their wives so that their wives would know more and greater who Jesus is. Men, how are you doing? This isn't a time for you as a wife to nudge your husband or look at him and say, you know. Don't go home and say, Do you know what he said. You better start changing your act, buddy. But the Bible is encouraging us as men to step up and to lead well. See, culture has it the opposite. The culture is saying men should be more suppressed, women should be more lifted up, and there is some truth to that. But, but can, we just, can we just be real about what it is like to be a man in American culture? Do you know that men are six times more likely to be arrested for drugs than women? Ten times more likely to be arrested for drunkenness in public. Eighty-three percent of serious crimes committed in our country are by men. And if you do any kind of studying, any kind of looking at the brokenness of, of culture, you will always find it is because men have been passive and they've abdicated their responsibilities rather than taking them on. Did Paul's encouragement, guys? You've got to lead. This is why, in the complementarian view, Paul says that men should be elders. They need to step up in the church. God's not, God has set it up purposely so that, so that men have no choice but to step up in the church. They've got to lead their families. They've got to lead the church. They've got to serve. They've got to lay down their life. They need to be solid men who take care of their women in humility. That's what Paul's encouraging. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Men are elders and women aren't? That seems really, really not fair. So Paul knows that. So he throws in this weird verse that needs a little bit more explaining. He talks about women being saved in childbirth. Now let's, let's first say what that isn't. We need some instruction here, right? It doesn't mean, hey, ladies, if you want to go to heaven, you better hurry up and get pregnant and have a baby. We know that's not the case. Because first of all, some women can't have babies, and secondly, it's already been made clear in the rest of the Bible that you're saved by grace alone and faith alone and Jesus alone. Amen? So it doesn't mean that. What, 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 is, what is he saying? He's saying, guess what? You can try to change the whole gender game all that you want, but men will never be able to have babies. Yeah, men got to be leaders. And to be leaders in the church isn't to stand up and be pompous, it's to serve this is why it's so frustrating when sometimes a woman comes and says, you're degrading women, you're not letting them be the leader. And I go, you know, you're not understanding. You're not understanding in the church, it's the upside down. I The pastor and the leaders in the church, they're the carpet. That's who I am. Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served. I'm the ultimate servant. So he says, okay, men are going to be the servants. They're going to be the rug. They're going to be the ones who do this. Women are going to be able to do something men will never be able to do. They're going to be able to have babies. They're going to be able to make a baby, a body, a human being in their body. Then they're going to be able to deliver that body from their body. And then they're going to be able to feed that body with their body. This is amazing. It's amazing. It's a miracle. I still have no idea how that's even possible. We get the little thing, you bring it home, what are we going to feed it? You mean it's going to live off of that alone? It doesn't seem like it'd make a whole lot of sense. And yet, God says in his goodness, he says, okay, ladies, just so you know, you are so valued, you're so dignified in the gospel that if you get married, a man is supposed to live for you sacrificially. That's how valuable you are. And then, likewise, with men, women, it says in Ephesians, they're to respect and submit to their husbands as the church does to Christ. They're to lift up their husbands, they're to encourage their husbands. What they're not to do is to do what was obviously happening in the church of Ephesus. Right here's, I mean, imagine this. To me, it's somewhat comical. You got a young guy, Timothy. I'm assuming he's married at this point. But what's happening is all of these women are coming to church. And they're dressing in a way in that culture in that day, that was hypersexualized. Here's this young guy preaching from the pulpit, and all these ladies are coming in, dressed in a way that is bringing attention to themselves. And if they're not bringing attention to themselves, they're bringing attention to the wealth that they had. That's the gold and the earring. So again, we've got to look at the text and go, what is he saying? He's not saying, ladies, that that someone needs to stand at the door and police what you're wearing. And he's not saying, ladies, don't, don't wear jewelry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, ladies, don't dress in a way that brings attention to yourself, but rather have this submissive heart that shows that you love the Lord and you want to sit under good teaching and preaching, and you're not trying to get everyone to look at you. This is what was happening in the church at this time. Ladies were dressing in a way that was causing people, probably men, to be distracted. And I know the saying is, well, men need to bear responsibility and not be so distracted. Okay, fair enough. We just hammered on the men. We can hammer on them some more, right? Ladies will enjoy that. Keep ribbing your husbands. At the same time, women need to be able to understand that there's a right and a wrong way in how we operate in the church. Here's the good news. We live in Truckee, and so, so we're not in the city. We're not in Palm Springs. When we go to Palm Springs, uh, you know, all everyone's dressed super, super. I mean, guys are even wearing shorts that are, I, I could never be seen in them because my legs would blind you. It'd be bad news for everybody. In Truckee, for the most part, you know, we're not dressing in that way. So It's not much of a problem here, but the instruction is still true. So... <clears throat> Then this other piece, okay? Childbearing isn't a means of salvation, but Paul is still letting Timothy and his readers know that ultimately we can't look down on women in any way because all of us owe our lives to a woman. This is this childbearing deal. It's really incredible when you think about it. All of us owe our existence to a female. That doesn't mean we worship them. That doesn't mean we bow down at Mary. But what it does mean is that we should value them. And then Paul says, okay, we value them. They're not going to be saved in childbearing for salvation, but, but there is this gratitude that we should have. And hopefully it's really, really clear men aren't the problem and women aren't the problem alone. It's men and women together. And then we mess up our gender roles in a complementarian view, and we try to operate outside of those things, and it makes the church wacky. So God has some boundaries for us. So you go, okay, wait a minute. What about this thing about women being silent? That's offensive. He doesn't mean that you can't talk. Because because remember the text. who Who raised Timothy? His mom and grandmother. He owes his biblical teaching to women. He owes his biblical formation to women. Paul got involved as well, but he owes it to them. Women should be teaching for sure. They should be guiding their children. They should be guiding other ladies. It actually tells, the Bible tells that the older ladies should be instructing the younger ladies. So, what else um, What else do I need to say in this? Here's what I want to say about the silent thing. In Paul's day, women were not allowed to be educated. That's kind of offensive, isn't it? Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but the Bible is uber-progressive towards women. Uber, uber, uber-progressive. When, when it was written, women were not allowed to be educated, as I just mentioned, and when Jesus was walking around with a gal who used to be a prostitute, you know what a big deal that was? It was such a big deal, it was one of the reasons why he was murdered. Okay, Super-progressive. So what was happening, which isn't true today, is that literally the room, uh, historically we know, would have been somewhat divided. Women who were uneducated would have to sit here and men who were educated would sit over here. And occasionally what was happening in services is the guy would be preaching and teaching and Sue over here would ask her husband, Bill, over here, what did he mean by that? And so Paul says, shh, I don't permit that a woman be speaking inside the church because it's disruptive, but rather that she learns with a quiet spirit. So as I kind of wrap up here and I try to make sense of all of this and trying to give you a big picture of of why is this important? It's important because first of all God desires the church to be healthy. God actually also really desires the culture to be healthy. And God knows in order for God knows that in order for all of those things to work in, in a good holistic place that first of all we need a healthy government. And Paul recognizes we're not going to always have influence. There's no way to change Nero's uh, leadership seat. So we've got to pray for our leadership. You've you got to vote, for sure. We get to vote in our country. That's great. Some countries don't. So what, what's the job? What's the obligation biblically that, that covers all cultures and all places? Pray. Pray that this government would operate according to God's plan and according to God's will. Pray for your leaders. But inside that, the next is the next form of government which is the church. Pray for the church. Pray for its leadership. Pray that it operates well. Pray that it has leadership in the way that it should. And then the next government that God has put in place, just so you know, he's put the world governments in place, the church government in place, as well as the next form of government, which is the family. And here's what I believe. We went from government to church to family. Government to church to family. Men and women's roles. Pray, pray, pray. But let's start here. If we will focus and hone in on healthy families, healthy, gospel centered, grace filled families, where men don't abdicate their responsibilities, where men lead their wives well and live sacrificially for their children, if the family government will operate the way in which God has called it to, forgive, have grace, don't yell, but raise your hands, don't clench the fist, raise your hands. If we focus in on that, we get the gospel there, then the gospel flows into the church. And then the church flows into the rest of the world. It's always from the bottom up. It's always from service to leadership, never leadership down. And so hopefully you leave this morning encouraged to say, you know what we need to do? We need to be on mission in our family. We need to be on mission with our wives and our husbands. We need to be on mission with our kids. And we need to see God do a work there so we can continue to do a work in the rest of the world. How do you change the world? Focus on your family. Get the gospel there. And then, okay? All right. Uh, my address for my email is Wayne at SBCTruckee.com. <laughs> Send all your complaints there. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, um. <clears throat> Lord, with uh, us being open and, and even talking about gender roles, Lord, I am reminded, as I said earlier, I have res- had to wrestle through with you, Lord. Am I, am I more willing to offend you or to offend people? Lord, I don't want to offend you. And I know I'm an imperfect teacher, and I'm imperfect with my words, but I know that you're perfect. And so I just trust that, that what you wrote in your word Came across in the way that was glorious to you and true to who you are. Where I've failed, Lord, correct me that I may do a better job next time. But I also trust and know, Lord, that you and your spirit is powerful enough to speak where I can't speak and to convict where I can't convict and even to correct what I'm unable to correct. So why are we here, Lord? We gather here because you're good. We gather here because you're worthy of our praise. We gather because you are glorious. We gather because you are our healer. We gather because you are our protector. We gather, Lord, because you are a guarantor of salvation in eternity. And we gather because you're our savior. And you are the one who has forgiven us of our sins. Now we sing with hands raised, not clenched surrendering to you. In Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Friends, let's uh, stand together.